All right. So, where we go? Welcome once again today to the Venture Matrix or the Future of Africa onboarding series. Um, today we are discussing series three, the case. And what the case actually talks about is um, trying to convince stakeholders about why this is the right time to, to revisit this conversation about the role of young people in the future of Africa. So today we'll be breaking down the concepts in series three, the case. Now, it's a little technical um, because it's a lot of economics, um, it's a lot of strategy, it's a lot of, um, you know, just like we're defining the economic case, right? Like how does this actually play out? What makes this of any economic value in this whole proposition, right? In series one, um, we understood the, 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 the purpose of this project, which is to change the narrative about the role of young people um, in, in, uh, in the future of Africa. Um, in series two, we discussed about the alternative logic, right, on how this would apply when we told the, the stories of, so we just kind of like put the spotlight on that uh, environment, discussing the eight stages of development, understanding the whole um, growth cycle, yeah, the growth and development cycle of that community and how it directly um, um, relates to our national and continental economies, right? So today, just like the way we, 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 we define business cases for businesses, you know, that's how we'll be defining the economic case for the venture in this episode. Right, so let's go, let's get right into it. So, if you're ready to go, let me see in the chat section. Just tell me, go, 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 go. Yes, Emmanuel said the article got him thinking. Yes, that is that is all this is supposed to do. So, in the comment section, keep it lively, g give me more energy, keep it active in the channel. In the in the comment section, share your ideas, tell, tell us where you are calling in from so that we can recognize you and give you proper twally. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's jump right into the article, right? It's serious business, so no time to joke around today. Um, the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa, Series 3, The Case. I'm sorry, I have to leave WhatsApp now. Um, yeah, let me jump right into that. Okay, I know what I wanted to open. Okay, so the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa, Series 3, The Case. Start reading now. So, my passion has always been born out of complexities and my internal drive to explore them. Reflecting now, I can see how I was born out of complexities that define how I've grown into who I am today and who, I am become, and who I'm becoming. I happen to be a Christian by faith, but I was christened by the Muslim name Sadiq at birth which I later found out in 2017 had its descent as being Hebrew. The situation around my birth was so complex that either the mother or the child would have to lose a claim to life. But out of that complexity came me, Batel, the fiery idol. I also didn't lose my mom, so grateful. There was also no surgery done, just prayers gave birth to me. Now, what I was trying to establish in this first paragraph was to bring all of the things we had enjoyed in series one and series two into just one paragraph. 
Here, I'm telling you a deeper side of my story, trying to help you understand the narrative behind who I am, right? Please, let's mute ourselves. I don't know, I, I thought I'd mute everybody. Yes, sorry about that. So as I was saying, I was bringing into the, uh, I was bringing to the fore all the things we had learned in series one and series two, right into one paragraph where we're narrating stories and trying to understand how we need to embrace our individuality, right? And remember that we are unique people. As individuals, we are unique people. Collectively, we are also unique people. So that is what I was trying to establish here. And I was also trying to establish the diversity with my perspective, right? I happen to be Christian by faith, but I have a Muslim name, right? At my birth, um, yes, so I'm going to tell this story. Um, it's not out there, so I'm just going to share it. Um, at my birth, my, my mom had a complication with my birth, right? I think I was turned upside down um, during the pregnancy. So it was a, it's a very complicated issue, right, where you can either... You know, either the child can be lost or the mother can be lost. It's a, it's a very dire situation, right? So um, my mom said, um, the doctor told her that they had to do a surgery, right? And it was a 50-50 chance, right? But my dad was, was, was a new convert, right? It was, it was Muslim. My, 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 my mom was an Anglican Christian. And then he, he made a promise to God, right, that if the child and the wife should, um, should survive this experience, he's going to serve him forever, right? My dad is actually a pastor. <laughs> so my dad is actually a pastor in the Redeemed Christian Church um, of God. Um, and he made a promise that uh, if the child uh, and, and the mother made it alive, he was going to serve forever. But funny enough, I made it. Of course, I'm here. Uh, my mom made it also amazing, in good condition, in good health. But then my dad told me that he was inspired to give me a Muslim name. And the Muslim name he was, he was inspired to give me was Sadiq. Sadiq happens to be, I'm sorry, um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not Muslim, so this might not be totally accurate, but this is just based on the research I've done. Sadiq happens to be um, one of the names of, of God, right? And it means a person who has been preferred by God or someone, um, I'm trying to remember the exact words. Um, it means, yes, it means one who has been backed up by God himself, right? It means the preferred one. It means the, the one who, who has earned um, a place in God's heart, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So it's a, it was a very powerful name. And it came at a time where I didn't know for, for 17 years of my life, I didn't know my name was Sadiq. But I, don't, I can't remember how I found out my name was Sadiq. Um, and it was in 2017. 2017 was my year of, of personal discovery because it was the year I, I started. You remember, as I said, this place is supposed to bring into the fore the things we had learned in series one and series two. It was in 2017 I decided to start asking the tough questions about myself. Like, who am I? What am I doing here? Right? And Sadiq, that name, was the name that brought all the clarity I was looking for. So Sadiq, Sadiq is a very special name to me that I really... Um, I really, I, I really, I really connect on a, on a deep spiritual level, right? That's all I was trying to express here. And here, um, I was talking about complexities. And now, from series three, you can observe, right, that every first paragraph between series three to series seven was 
was like a replica of what will happen in the whole article. Once you can read the first paragraph carefully, you can see it's replicated in all of the article for that piece. So in this place, I was talking about complexities, right? And how my, I, I found my place in trying to balance the, the complexities happening inside my life and the complexities happening outside. It's just the same way I now narrated the economic case for the undergraduate community, trying to balance and negotiate the complexities within the student environment and the outside environment. That is what you will see in series three in simple words, right? Now, how do I come about the name the fiery eyed owl? There's something called a spirit animal, right? And my spirit animal is the owl. Um, the fire there, the, fi the fire actually comes from my zodiac sign, which is Sagittarius. Um, I'm, I'm born in December, on the, I was born on December 17th, right? And the, 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 the zodiac element for that is fire, right? And I, I see myself as a person of insight. I think that is one of my greatest gifts. I can see the future from where I stand. I can see the whole playing field from where I stand. I'm that kind of, is that I, I see far, right? I have that insight, right? So that's how I came about the name. And I had a dream. No, someone had a dream. It was actually a lady. It was um, someone I was dating at the time. And she said she had a dream where I came to her like an owl with blazing eyes to have a conversation with her. It was very funny, right? It was, it was scary. It was mystical, right? But I, I deeply connected to it. And I, had, I said it was my year of discovery. It was in 2017. And that is how I got inspired with the name The Fiery Idol. Right, so it was. It's a very deeply spiritual um, connection with these two names, Sadiq, and then the fiery idol. So let's let's jump back into the article. So I said this nature of complexities was also experienced when birthing the Monica Battelle, which was from from my name's Bamidele Toy Samuel. I from that name. At the time in secondary school, federal government college, Janiki, Lagos, where the internal complexity of identity and external complexity of the culture, to have a moniker as a senior student was the case, or is being called a bollocks, a slacker. Now, this moniker evolved into a brand in the university where I sought to explore the internal complexity of the desires discussed in series one and the external environment of the university dis discussed in series two. So I, I had to once again explore the journey of establishing a balance between my internal complexities and the external complexities that fueled my, my passion for deliberate and concerted action through series three. So what I'm saying here is I also bring you closer to why I'm called Battelle, right? So I attended one of the most interesting secondary schools in Nigeria. It's, called, it's, it's Federal Government College in Janikin, Lagos. I feel very privileged to have gone to that school. Because it brought me to inter it, it made me intersect with a different with different classes of people: the rich, the not so rich, the almost rich, the good, the bad, the ugly, the the you know. It, it was just a a, com a combination of, of of interesting individuals, and everybody got room to express themselves. There was a culture that defined the school, right? And one of the cultures then was that when you're a senior boy, you need to have you need to have a, a nickname, you know, as what it was called. You know, that's why it's called a Monica, right? Like a nickname. Um, so 
please on Google Meet, please mute yourself. So, um, it, 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 there was, a, there was, the, you know, Federal Element College Janikin is a very deeply cultural school, and as a senior boy, you needed to have a nickname. So, I, I thought I needed to have a nickname, and we had nicknames like Method Man, Sly G, um, Big B, um, you know, interesting names, CB, Willowee, you know, they had really interesting uh, um, monikers like that. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm a senior boy now. I need a Monica of my own. So I just took the, the first two letters from my surname, Bamidele B-A, took T from my name, Toi, and took the last words from my English name, Samuel. And that is how I got Battelle. There's nothing deeply connected to that name. That name was just something I gave myself in secondary school. But I didn't use it. In fact, secondary school, I had so many Monicas. I had the Monica Otiko because um, I was really good in technical drawing. And it, it, my technical drawing teacher said, I reminded him of one of his um, students in Ogumosho, Federal Government College of Ogumosho, called Bamdele Otiko. So everybody just liked the name. And because I was a social guy, I was a guy that everybody knew, you know, they just started calling me Otiko Otiko. I had so many names in secondary school. But fast forward to the university, you know, trying to define myself. The name just stood out as a name that people easily connected to. In fact, throughout my university days, most people didn't know my original name. They knew me more as Battelle. Right. And when I was, you know, when I started exploring these complexities, it was just the name that fits the narrative. Right. It was just the name that fits the narrative. Right. And Battelle just became a personal brand, it evolved into a personal brand. So that is what I was explaining in the second paragraph. So, as I said, right, um, in series three, we just negotiate. That's all. We define the case. We just negotiate. All of the stories in series in in in, in um, series one and all the stories in series two and bring them into one. That is all that we did here in series in series three. So, so series three seeks to explore the concept of creating an enabling environment as part of the eight stages of development discussed in series two. Series three is a human-centered design approach to understanding the venture matrix for the future of Africa. The premise, is to be, the premise to be explored is funding people before funding projects is the model for a transformative economy. Investing in capacity building to transform human resources into human capital is a major feature of a transformative economy. Funding people working on market creating innovations is how we develop, is how we achieve sustainable development. So simply what I was trying to say here is I was inspired by a session with someone I respect so much, Ifosa Ojomo, um, in, 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 in his thoughts expressed in, um, in, in, in struggle lies opportunity, right? And then a session that he had on the Innovator's Guide to Growth, a training resource he had with um, healthcare leadership um, Elsewhere Leadership Academy, right? It was a session that I was privileged to be invited to get an invite to. And I heard him heard him speak and I was very inspired by that. Right. So it says here that funding pro people before funding projects, this simply means investing in creating solutions that make people's lives better, investing in things that make people become 
mod in, in the development of people is how you set a path for the transformative economy. It's not about building roads. Don't build roads when you've not built people. That is simply what I'm saying, what I'm saying here. Why build roads, right? Or why spend so much money on roads when you can spend more money on developing people that will build the roads? That is simply the argument there, right? So that is what I meant by funding people before funding projects. I didn't say we should not fund projects anymore. No, no, no. I'm saying there's a pressing issue in human development, in solving social issues, in radicalizing the dysfunction within our society beyond building roads and all of that. So I'm saying fund people, build projects, fund, fund them initiatives that make people's lives better, that gives them access right, to the things that make them more, um, more, more established than just, um, you know, taking on massive projects that nobody ends up enjoying and enjoy using that nobody ends up um, using actually. All right. That's what I was saying in that um, paragraph. Right. So back into the article, it has become common business and economic. So now we start to define the case, right? It has become common business and economic banter to believe that the problem with Nigeria struck Africa is that we have more consumers than producers. And that is rather inaccurate. So most people think that the problem with Africa is that we don't have people who are produ producing. We don't have innovators. But that's not true. The issue is that people can innovate. People want to innovate, but there is no market for it. So let's continue. We have more consumers. Sorry, we are, we, sorry the, 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 the cliche that is inaccurate is that People think we have more consumers than producers, and that is inaccurate. The actual problem stems from the opportunity gap. There's a gap between the consumer and non-consumer class that defines the current state of the economic potential that we possess, but haven't unnest. So what I'm simply saying here is that the major issue is that we have what we call non-consumers, and then we have consumers, and the gap between them is so wide that it makes the cost of innovation really high. Now, what this means is people want to create things, but people cannot still afford them. There, there, there are people who want these things, but they cannot afford them. They cannot have, they can't, they can't, they can't meet the requirements of access to these things. Everybody would like, everybody likes an iPhone, right? But how many people earn enough to afford an iPhone? That is the, that's the conversation, right? I remember making a case that um, we are an oil prosperous country. We live in an oil prosperous country and continent where the average man cannot afford a car. That is a problem, right? So we have natural resources that the people cannot afford to use. That is the economic dysfunction. People want to create. People want to live better lives. People wish they can buy a car. If you give me money right now, I will buy a car. But why can't people buy car? Because affordability, there's inflation. There is a lot of economic dysfunctions affecting people's access to these good things. That is what I was trying to say. And that is the real economic problem, not that we do not have um, more consumers and producers. People want to invest. There is a lot of money to be invested, but there is no opportunity for investment. That is the problem there. So the opportunity gap defining the economic reality of Nigeria is that we have more non-consumers than consumers. 
you know, whatever you understand, whatever you think I've been able to clarify in your head, you can just let me know in the comment section. Say wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> you know how we do it, right? Um, so the opportunity gap defining the economic reality of Nigeria is that we have more non-consumers than consumers. Non-consumers, according to EFOSA or JOMO, are people who could benefit from a particular solution that could help them make progress in their lives. But because of the existing products and services on the market and the barriers that exist, they are unable to consume even though they contribute to the demand for those products and services. So there's, there's plenty of demand, there's plenty of supply, but there's no enough purchasing power in that demand to acquire supply. So that is a major problem. So they essentially make up the class of the non-consumers. Now, if you look at this um, slide up on the article, right? They were trying to, to we're trying here to define what non-consumption means. So in so imagine I look at look at the statistics for education. Are you trying to tell me people don't want to be educated? No, but most people cannot afford school fees. The majority of us cannot afford school fees. So looking at the data here, education, there are 13 million children out of school, right? And this is just before the pandemic hit um, us, right? So that means it's probably worse now. So there are 13 million children out of school. 55% of the youths are unemployed in the healthcare. People want good healthcare, but 100 million people lack access to pharmacies, right? And less than 5% access to health. I'm sorry, I don't know who's... Please mute yourself, guys. Um, it's a lot of distraction having to do this. Please mute yourself. All right, sorry about that. Let me get right to it. So a lot of people want healthcare, but they cannot, they don't have access. People want to eat good food, right? People spend 56% of their income on food alone, right? People want good houses, but we have 20, 22 million housing deficits and 50,000 housing loans. How do you want to bridge that? So there's a huge gap between these things. People want financial services. People want energy. People want light. Of course, we, want, we like power. We want, we want to work. But there's a power issue, right? So what defines non-consumption are these four... Um, 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 the barriers to consumption. What defines non-consumption are these four variables. Number one, access. People cannot, when people cannot access, right? Time when it costs a lot of when it's a lot of time cost for people to be able to access the same things, right? Money, affordability, and skill. When there's a demand for skill to be able to explore these opportunities. So just to give just to deviate a little, later in the year, in October, um, the Venture Matrix project is going to start a competition, right? defined on just these four variables. So if you can create solutions that solve these four variables, the Venture Metrics team are going to raise funds to fund your, fund your initiative, right? And we're going to help you design a for-profit model for whatever initiative, either it's for-profit or, you know, a social enterprise, you know, a proper business enterprise or social enterprise. That is one of the interesting projects that leaders in the leaders, um, in the Venture Metrics Leaders Program are going to champion 
So that is why we need people who are committed and, and you know, who understand the gravity of what um, they are doing here. So if you're excited about that, let me see your excitement in the comment section and tell me how much you're looking forward to that nationwide competition that we're going to have by that time. All right, so let's jump right into um, the article. So even when people seek to innovate, build and produce, there is no market for their business case because the people they are building for either cannot afford it or access it, owing to them being in the non-consumer class. Nigeria or Africa is undoubtedly one of the most promising emerging markets. And that's what I, I call Nigeria. It's just an emerging market. We are not an emerging, we're not, um, we're not yet a defined market. We're just an emerging market. That means we just have prospects, right? That is what we need to solve as young people. So, um, as I said, Nigeria Africa is undoubtedly one of the most promising emerging markets, but I think we should be called emerging economies instead. Since we don't have enough markets essential to explore our growth potential. I really like this point because it is clear, concise, and very practical. I don't think we should be called emerging markets anymore. I think we should be called emerging economies because we don't have markets. It is sad. We have an economy, we have economic potential, but we don't have markets to explore that economic potential and actualize our growth. So for instance, crude oil used to be a major revenue resource for Nigeria, even when we did not refine the oil. How do we seek to maximize the refining of oil to our economic benefits if more than half of the population cannot afford to buy a car or generator? That is the actual dichotomy of the problem that hasn't served hasn't been served a lot of attention. So this opportunity gap is one of the biggest influences shaping the narrative about the speed and scope of economic prosperity across Africa that we've not easily noticed. It is due to the apparent mismatch between, so it is due to the apparent mismatch between the people creating value and those they are creating the value for. The defining factor for this, as funny as it may seem, is mostly demographic right? It's mostly demographic. The age and social strata of innovations leading some of the biggest and fastest growing companies and initiatives are in their mid to late 20s or early 30s to mid 30s compared to places like the US where they are in their late teens to mid 20s. To better spell this out, they were in the university. So let me give you, so what I was trying to explain here is that the major issue now with bridging that gap in Africa, and I'm specifically talking about Africa and Nigeria, right, is that there is a social divide between the innovators and those that they are innovating for. We have the young people creating the paystacks, the Andelas, doing great work, right? But that is not, that is not fully... That is, not, that is not attending to all of the gap that exists. There is a bigger gap that exists between young people in the university and then the people in their local environments, the old mamas. You know? So looking at the fintech industry, it only happens to be that more than 97% of the fintech market is still not included. It's not, so 
In fact, Mastercard says that I think I, I, please forgive me if it's not accurate, but just to I'm just using that as a referential so you can get the idea. I think Mastercard right says that it accounts for one percent of the three percent. I don't know if it's Mastercard or Interswitch that 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 um it 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 accounts for the payments of one percent of that market, leaving you know 97 percent not that are not included in the fintech space so who is creating for those people it should be the young people in the universities who have most direct contacts for them the young, the young guys in futa creating fintech solutions for the mama for the young for the older people in akure forget lagos and the rest right that is what um i'm talking about here so um that is what I was trying to, to achieve by bringing in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Most of, our, most of us, so I was saying in the US, most of their innovators, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Bill Gates, they started innovating solutions right from the university. But as I said, their own context is different from here. Their economic realities are different from here. That is why I'm saying that for us, the difference has to be that we are creating for our local context. So most of us are post-university or post-working class segments compared to other economics, economies that we are trying to model. So this is a, this is a tab, um, this is a little graphic representation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What I was trying to express here is that this single table, I'm not going to spend much time on this because um, I'm also going to be working on another publication that just on this concept alone right um with a friend we're going to be publishing on this concept alone because apparently it has deeper economic relevance than just being on this so um i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a, a proper publication on this very soon you know trying to bridge the gap between the hierarchy of needs and then the, the social innovators or the innovation cost of economies so we're going to work on that together it's going to be an exciting project so what i was, yeah so what i was trying to explain by putting this here is this that the cost of innovation gets higher, right? Based on your level on the hierarchy in the end. Um, your, 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 yes, your innovation cost is dependent on the level you are in the hierarchy of needs. For example, the need for your, your if you have high psychological needs, your cost on innovation gets higher. And this is why. Imagine you are fresh out of the university. You don't have work, right? You don't have, um, you, you, you are looking for needs of a family, clothing and reproduction. When you are innovating, you are innovating to only solve your belly problems. You are thinking of things that would directly affect your stomach. But if you are in the university, right? You have access to, to, to hostel. You are not paying rent. You're not paying um, all of those bills. You can innovate for the real cause of innovating. It doesn't mean that you cannot innovate for the real cause of innovating outside the university. I just mean that the cost of doing that is more reduced when you're in the university. It's a simple economic concept, right? That is why when you see that negotiating equity is even higher, investors can get more equity because the motivation, right, 
for negotiating this equity is reduced, right, in this target market. But let me not go too much into that because that's a little technical and we don't have so much time. Let me go back into the, the article. So that's what I was trying to explain in this paragraph. So exploring economic and investment opportunity, opportunity portfolio, we need to evaluate the case with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and theory of motivation. To understand this, to understand this premise is to see that we need a demographic class with a lower cost of ascending the hierarchy of needs than those with higher cost of attaining almost the same outcomes. So what I was trying to say here is we need a demographic class of innovators who can easily climb those, that hierarchy of needs at a lower cost. So imagine you're a student, part one, part two, part three, part four, right? You don't have to really, you know, I know there are people who struggle in university, they fund themselves, yeah, but that's just, you know, a, they, they still fall within this category, right? Compared to them finishing school and having to work, having to tend to a family. It's, it's easier for you in the university to, to ascend the hierarchy of needs, right? Than for you post-university, post right? Your, your, your parents probably fund, send you money, so you don't have those, those worries. You can innovate for innovation, innovation's sake. That is what I mean here. So um, it, is with, it is those with lower cost that can be saddled with responsibility. Remember the, the, the sense of responsibility. It is those with lower cost that can be saddled with responsibility of shaping the narrative that will drive the economic change that Nigeria desperately needs beyond the economic beyond the achievement of shareholder value in profits and dividends of the investment. So yes, the other guys doing great, amazing stuff in the startup ecosystem in, in Abuja, in Lagos, in Port Harcourt, in Enugu, in all of those sites, they are doing great work, but it's not affecting the bottom line of the economy because they don't have enough consumers. Even those guys cannot, if you notice, most of them quickly expand outside of Nigeria, outside of Africa, because there is no market for expansion and growth here. So if we, if, we, if, we, if we give young people in the university, in the undergraduate community, the, the, the responsibility to innovate and create markets, it would directly impact the net outcome of these guys playing at the top level. Let me give you a simple uh, example. If Shegun can create fintech apps or fintech solutions or a, a paga on his campus that makes the mama of 40 years old, 50 years old, or someone in another generation, able to access a bank account, able to access fintech solutions and financial services, it will affect Paystack indirectly because she now understands that whole market and has a, a perspective that informs her on how to choose. So you see that a mama of, of 30 years or 40 years, sorry, I said 30 years, of 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80, 80 years, through this model, can start to invest in stocks because she understands fintech. She can begin to have access to apps like Bamboo. She can't have access to them now because she cannot relate with it. There is no solution to bridge her opportunity gap between what she uses right now, maybe a colo or something, and then using an invest, uh, um, a stock investment app like Bamboo or, or Shaka.ng. Do you understand the concept? So if young people can solve local problems with global solutions, it will directly affect the ecosystem, the value creation ecosystem in the, in the longer term. I hope you see the connection here. That is why we need young people to innovate. Paystack cannot come 
to your local environment. They cannot come to Akure as that. That is why you have, in fact, beautiful. That is why you have Uber in Lagos. I don't have Uber in Akure or any other place. I'm sorry if you guys have Uber in Akure. I'm sorry, but you get the point. That's why you don't have Uber, Uber across Nigeria. That is why Lagos is the only place that gets all the cool stuff. It's because when they do a business case for every other part of Nigeria, they don't see a business case. So you young people are the ones that are going to create markets for them. You know, through projects that Efosa Ojomo calls markets creating innovations. I hope you understand and see the bridge here. That is the power of the venture matrix that, you know, I'm, I'm proposing that stakeholders begin to pay attention to. So, as I said, it is those with lower costs that can be saddled with the responsibility of shaping the narrative that will drive economic change that Nigeria desperately needs. Beyond the achievement of shareholder value in profit and dividends of investment. If you connect to what I'm saying, let me see your excitement in the, in the comment section. Tell me wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Tell me the points that you're connecting with and um, let me know so that I can reiterate any points that it doesn't seem clear. So this would, in the long run, impact the business environment of innovators that fall within the other social strata. So let me put some context. So I, you understand, remember the power of storytelling. In all of the articles, I employed the power of storytelling to make this concept vivid and clearer to you. So let me put some context. Shagun is 26 to 31, already has needs that demands he attends to with higher costs to attain satisfaction and fulfillment that someone in their 200 or 300 level in university doesn't have to attend to. When you're in the university, you don't have to be thinking of one family or one child or one wife to feed. You can have a girlfriend, you understand, getting almost the same, um, <laughs> almost the same outcomes, right? But then it's a lower, it's a lower cost compared to having a wife, having children, and they are trying to build solutions. No, you're going to start thinking of, you know, your belly infrastructure, your stomach infrastructure first. You're trying to solve hunger and your basic needs first, right? So, um, as I said, we need someone, so that um, we, we, let me put the context. So um, we said Shegun, who, has 26, who is 26 to 31 years of age, already has needs that demands he attends to with higher costs to attain satisfaction and fulfillment that someone in their 20 or 30, or sorry, or in, someone in their 200 or 300 level in university doesn't have to attend to. So their motivation and drive for innovating is different and who they are innovating for is different. This looks like a one-sided argument until you apply some context, i.e. Nigeria and Africa, where the socioeconomic and economic climate demands that we create custom solutions that are global but tailored to our local narrative. We desperately need to create an environment where young people... So remember that this, 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 this um, series, this, this piece is talking about... Um, creating an enabling environment. But we need to first define why. So this was, is just answering why. So we desperately need to create an environment where young people are incentivized to create, build, and explore solutions with global approaches to their local context, not at the national level. Forget national level right now. But at their local level, the university level. The impact will first be to the internal and external host community. So what I'm saying here is innovate to make your campus better. Innovate to make your host community better. Let's say in Futa now, innovate to make sure um, your local, I don't know the name of 
the the community where the university is is is, is located but build to make that community better first forget nationwide forget um global but carry global concepts that you can get from exposure to the internet and all of that and apply it to your campus community innovate on solutions that make your camp your, your campus better that's one thing that people were doing in OU that made that makes OU look like an up-class university right so the practicality of this premise is being is best achieved by the youth and to be specific youths in the university because number one these guys have, have access to the tools these guys have access to the to the to the resources these guys have access to the knowledge base right the knowledge resources needed for this kind of work so the practicality of this premise is best achieved by the youths and to be specific youths in the university because the university is a unitary as i said it is the unit measurement of every national economy if you want to understand the the health of any national economy check the university right that's simply look at look at that university economy once you can look at the university economy you can almost understand the national economy so the practicality of this premise is best achieved by the youth and to be specific youth in the universities because the university is a unitary already independent economic ecosystem compared to a local community compared to a region compared to a state or a nation what that simply means is that every university campus is like a state of its own. That's how you should see it. For, for example, in Obafemi Award University, there are, there are more than 30,000 30, students on that campus. You know, we, within an outside campus, actually, but forming that undergraduate community. So that is already almost a nation on its own. Almost a, a that is almost um, a state of, of its own. So look at, look at it like a, a mini state. So every university campus, every university undergraduate community should be, should be looked at as its own economy. So when you can start looking at this as an economy of its own, you are more inspired to innovate and see the practical economic case there. So if I were to prescribe some theoretic economic hypothesis, the SI units, I don't know, you know, if you have done a lot of maths and physics, you understand SI units. The SI units for national and economic prosperity is the university undergraduate community. If that community prospers, the national economy prospers. Exactly what, that's just simply what I'm saying there. So whatever goes on there is a reflection of the state of the economy of any nation. Check around the globe. Look, once you want to understand how much one nation is prospering, look at the undergraduate community. If, an under, if, the, undergraduate, if the undergraduate community is prospering, the nation prospers. It's as simple as that. So let's analyze a case using the stages of development discussed in series two to evaluate this proposition as it applies to the relationship between Stanford University, Silicon Valley, which is the enabling environment of some sort or a contributor to the enabling environment and California's economy and then its impact on the economy of the United States. I came across a post by Fidel Albert and readdressed some points which I'll be addressing below to explore this premise. So I was doing my research. I came across a post that deeply connected to what I was trying to express. And I just, you know, rewrote the concept based in the, on this context. So California is the sixth largest economy in the world with a sizable amount of offshore oil, just like us here in Nigeria. You understand? Uh, just like, you know, any case. <laughs> so 
its economy is larger than that of France or Brazil and that of over 50 combined African countries' economies. Can you imagine just one state in the U.S.? It is a state in the United States of, Amer of, of America. California generates much of its revenue, not even from oil, but from non-oil products. It found a way to absorb and domesticate much of the intellectual outputs from its premier university, Stanford University, which directly and indirectly led to the development of Silicon Valley, which is host to companies like Apple, eBay, Cisco, Lockheed, Hewlett-Packard, HP, Google, Netflix, Facebook, Oracle, and Tesla. These are multi-billion dollar companies that are in the technology industry aspect of its economic. So that's just one aspect of its economy, the tech the tech economy, uh, the tech um, value creation economy of that, of, that, of that space. With technologies and inventions developed from Stanford University and built into giant enterprises. These are aside, these are aside accounting for other, these are aside accounting for other segments of its economic portfolio, so, such as entertainment, driven by Hollywood, and the big eight. So the big eight are 20th Century Fox, Columbia Pictures, Metro, Goldwyn Mayer, MGM, Paramount Pictures, RKO Radio Pictures, United Artists, Universal Studios, and Warner Brothers, Warner Bros. Right? Those are the big eight. Right? Contributing 70% of the $504 billion that make up the entertainment generated revenue to the US GDP, just from one state. It also has an agricultural segment of its economic portfolio, boasting of more than 77,000 farms and ranches, generating about another $55 billion in yearly revenue. As of, and that is, this, this, so all of the statistics used here is statistics from 2014. I purposely chose not to even use the statistics of today's date because I want to see, show you how far these things have been you know how sustainable this framework I'm proposing is because it has been tested in some way in places like America. Observing the ecosystems of developed and developing economies like the US and the, or the UK, the economy, business, and lifestyle of cities and states are developed around the support system of the university undergraduate communities everywhere, Oxford, Harvard, those are the things, those, that, those undergraduate communities are the things defining their society. They're the ones defining the economic outlook of their nation. Right? Examples include Cambridge. Cambridge, Cambridge so I, I listed here, right, um, little economies and then their communities. Undergraduate economies and then their communities. So examples include Cambridge and the Cambridge and Cambridge University, Massachusetts and Harvard University, and also... Um, Columbia University and New York, also with um, MIT, right? Recently, three students in Sweden conducted research and came up with a product that, that could improve wear and tear on tires. The product became so successful that Volvo had to partner with these students to patent the product. Most of the world-class products we buy today off the shelf at great cost were, invited, were invented by university students. That is the model we need here in Africa. That's what we need here in Nigeria. So let's read on. America is structured in such a way that states must look inwards 
to exploit their opportunistic wealth. This system functions under an enabling environment built by American federalism, where the local government, the government closest to the grassroots, is responsible and held accountable for supporting the system through facilities tailored to incentivize creators and fuel an economic engine. So I saw, I saw, I saw questions in my email about this part, that how is this possible, possible in places like Nigeria where we don't operate this kind of system? As I said, we need to def define our own culture as young people. And because of time, I cannot go deeply into this, but it was discussed in the next series, right? After series three, The Matrix, right? In the rise of institutions. So we talk about government, government places and all of that. But one simple answer to how we can do that is through the three Ps I mentioned in series two. Through what? Projects and platforms, through policies and through partnerships. Right? That is how we can create these systems. So this structure creates room for a microeconomic ecosystem where the university undergraduates can access an enabling environment to develop value creation ecosystems, such as Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley is an, is an enabling environment, is an ecosystem directly impacting the economics of the US that directly and indirectly impacts their economic power, national growth, and development. Right, so you can you can look through this slide where we're talking about markets creating innovations and how it democratizes access. So that's one thing that young people need to innovate for. You need to innovate to be able to democratize access. What that means is you need to be able to look at your world today, see problems, see existing solutions, and innovate a bridge between that where the solution is very accessible by the by the um, sorry, excuse me, sorry for that is easily accessible by the non-consumers in Nigeria, in Africa, in your community. So most innovators, you now this is the point I, I, I was trying to make as I was still talking about the big companies like the Andelas and, and the rest. Most innovators only innovate for the upper class of the economy, those who can afford it. And that doesn't have a direct impact on the economy itself. That is why you have so much wealth in this in this in this country and so much poor people. In fact, we have so much poor people that our wealth cannot, you know, the amount of wealthy people we have cannot even cover the narrative of us being the poverty capital of the world. That is a, that is a pathetic case. And we young people are the answer to this, to this problem. So driving economic inclusion, that is the answer, has to be grassroots, bottom-up work approach. And the undergraduate community is a better match to take on that challenge. So we in the undergraduate community are best positioned by both natural and artificial um, 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 resources. By natural, I mean natural as talents based on our age, based on our youthful exuberance, and artificial based on our competence, based on our understanding of, of, the, of the digital world, based on our understanding and adaptation of technology. We are the best match to take on this challenge. We are sharp, we are smart, we are, we, are, we are passionate and we are enthusiastic and we are glad to be alive. That is why we are the best match for this, right? So driving economic inclusion has to be grassroots, bottom-up work approach and the undergraduate community is, better, is a better match to take on that challenge. Imagine a guy called Lekon building a payment app in Obafemi Awolowo University used by his university. So imagine Lekon builds an app a fintech app for students to be able to exchange 
um, to be able to send and receive money, to be able to exchange money and all of that. Imagine building a solution for 30,000 students. In, and that is just one community alone. That is just the undergraduate community. Talk less of the, the other millions of people in that Ileife city. Talk less of the millions of people in Osho State. Do you understand? That is how we should be thinking. Forget global, forget Nigeria. Just bring your global concepts, apply it to your local context. That's what I'm saying here. So imagine they come building a payment app in Obafemi University, used by his university and the residents of Ileife, that would affect the health of the digital economy as a commemoration of what Paystack is already massively doing. So it's, it's not... So what you're trying to do is to create another Paystack in your local community. That's simply what I'm saying, right? So the undergraduate community is to be responsible for innovating for the non-consumer class and underserved markets that would fundamentally that would fundamentally that would fundamentally change the landscape of our economic structure. If that would normally that would sorry, the undergraduate community is to be responsible for innovating. Can you please mute yourself, guys? Use the chat box. Please mute yourself. It's very distracting. Use the chat box. Thank you very much. So back to the article. Sorry about that. The undergraduate community is to be responsible for innovating for the non-consumer class and underserved markets that would fundamentally change the landscape of our economic structure. If we create an enabling environment for them to explore the opportunities from creating global solutions to local problems, they don't need to build for the 1% or the 30% of the Nigerian economy or the market. They need to focus on the 70% and reconfigure Nigeria from a passing emerging market to an active emerging market. It is a model I call exploring the economics of the market before exploring the business of the market. So the point is, before you take on the solution, it needs to directly impact the economy before generating money. That is how we need to think. Those are the kind of solutions we need to think if we are going to change the narrative about the economic landscape of Africa and Nigeria. We need to, for, for a while, for just a period of time, focus on only solutions that directly impact the economy. You know, so in simple terms, solutions that, you know, directly impact the, indig the indigenous. Let indigenous be able to work. Simple. Employ indigenous. Make sure that indigenous are able to earn money. You know, simple things like that that directly impact the economy. So those variables, right? That is what I was talking about in that line. So it's a model I call exploring the economics of the market before exploring the business of the market. This in simple terms of our discourse means that the route to a transformative economy is to build an enabling environment for the undergraduate community to innovate and build solutions that solve the barriers of consumption about access, time, money, and skill experienced by the undergraduate community. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. This in simple terms of our discourse means that the route to a transformative economy is to build an enabling environment for the undergraduate community to innovate and build solutions that solve the barriers of consumption about access, time, money, and skill experienced by the underserved markets or non-consumers as we call them. In Bangladesh, a billionaire called Mohammed Yunus is adopting this framework, this same approach to solving the economics of the market before exploring the business of the market. So he's a billionaire. He can easily build businesses, but he's doing a project there where he's giving loans, right, to small businesses, right, and then actively participating on building their business. So he's not empowering the people. Of, he's, 
So he's not empowering the people of the lower economic class to build products. So you should, you should, you should Google him, Muhammad Yunus. He's not empowering the people of the lower economic class to build products for the world, like Facebook, Amazon, or Tesla. But it's empowering them to build products that make the, li the life of the average person they see and interact with every day better. Because he knows that once people can have a sense of living in a better reality, the cost of innovating for global competitiveness—the cost of innovating for global competitiveness—will drastically reduce. So we are not Bangladesh, but this model is what I propose for Nigeria and Africa at large. So I said here that this is the best time to read the prosperity paradox by Clayton M. Christensen, Professor Clayton M. Christensen, Karen Dillon and then Ifosa or Jomo. So instead of copy and paste like we usually do, we should cut, we should cut, change the format, change the font, and then paste on a new sheet because we know good artists copy, but great artists still. It is time we start thinking and acting like great artists. Therein lies the investment opportunity of the venture matrix for the future of Africa. So that's Come, that is the end of the article. So as I promised, we are rightly on time. This is five o'clock. So please don't leave yet. Um, we'll still have some conversations because we still have 15 minutes on, 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 on the session, right? But then I think we can, I will go to the comment section and then respond to your comments since we have more time. But then this is the end of today's session, the case. If you enjoyed today's session, if you've been impacted, please let me know in the comment section. Write wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Share your points, right? And then we'll just have a few conversations and then we can round up. Thank you so much for joining in on the conversation. It was, it was great sharing these ideas with you. Cheers.